0: Our scripture reading today is taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And our sermon title today is, A Question, A Door, A Meal, and A Table. Those are four nouns for those of you who are grammar experts out there. This is the Lord's Word. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at a table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. Today we have the privilege to celebrate communion. Communion is a sign of God's sacrifice to us of his body, of his life. It's in order to satisfy God's wrath, in order to forgive us of our sins. It's a representation for the church and and for the world that we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That that historical moment when he died on that Ross, when he said, "The Lord, it is finished," that that historical moment changed all of history, and not simply all of history, but even changed our lives as well. It's a moment that is bigger than any other historical moment that we've learned about in our history classes. American Revolution, Second World War. The death and the resurrection of Christ defines who we are. And today in this passage, you see the disciples walking with Jesus and trying to figure out what does it mean to have salvation? And then, How do we get it? How do we obtain it? It's like Jesus is holding a lottery ticket out there, and people are going, how do I get that ticket? How do I get that ticket to salvation? What must I do to be saved? People are following him. And Jesus is giving answers left and right, and people are still confused because Jesus likes to talk in parables. And we come to this passage. And someone says to him very simply in verse 23, Lord, will those who, will those who are saved be few? And you look at that question, and you and you're thinking, Is this a simple math question? Is this one person simply asking God, God, give me a number? Is it a hundred, a thousand, a million? 10 million, tell me, how many people will be saved? Or is there something deeper to this question that we see in the context as a whole? I don't think he's simply asking the question of how many people will be saved. What he's starting to see is that the question is, how can we be saved? Because Jesus is starting to teach And tell people, listen, in order for you to be saved, you need to come to me. You need to know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Israelites were confused because they're thinking, listen, we had the promises of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have this history behind us that tells us that we are God's people. Surely, this is more than enough for me to come to know God. And Jesus is starting to flip things around and say, even those covenants are not suffice for you to know the Father. And so the question begins, so, if all of these Israelites who who have the promises of God, if that isn't enough, how many can be saved? And the question behind that is then, how can you be saved? And Jesus is showing us that there is not sort of many ways to salvation, not even the ways that we see in, in, in Scripture, thinking, Surely, the promises in the Old Testament are valid today. But Jesus is saying, no, the promises in the Old Testament have been fulfilled only in me. I am Israel. I am the embodiment of all the covenants in the Old Testament. And the way that people come to know me, whether Jew Jew, or Greek, whether rich or poor, is to come to know me. And this is where we stand today. We need to ask the Lord always in our hearts are there different ways to salvation? Are there different ways to know our Lord and God? And Jesus answers in verse 24 that very question. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, we seek to enter and will not be able. Again, verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Now when we read that, we're thinking, does that mean that we ourselves have to work and do something to come to know Jesus? Are there prerequisites for us to say, hey, let me sort of figure out what I need to do. All right, it seems like it says in the Bible, I need to read the Bible more, check. Come to church more, check. Uh, memorize at least three, four hymns, check. And then I can come to know Jesus. And then he'll take me in. It's like Jesus has that corner office and we have to get to that secretary. And after that secretary, we might have to go through some of the underlings before we can meet the CEO, God, at the corner office. And perhaps when we read this, that what Jesus looks like he's saying is that we need to work hard to enter into the narrow door in order to see God himself. but we know from Scripture that this cannot be what it means. We know that the beauty of the gospel is that it is given to us freely to those of us who believe. But the faith that God gives us is the entrance point into fellowship with God. That there's a moment in our lives When we start to sort of forget about ourselves, to see the scandal of the cross, to see how sort of just unbelievably unworldly the cross is, and you sit and you say, I believe that. I don't know why, but I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I'm loved by God. And when you come to that moment in your life, you can't really explain it. You just know it. And you see God's grace come pouring into your lives. And there's no one but God who you can worship. Our speaker at our retreat said a couple of weeks ago, You're just, you're ruined now. You can't go back. You're ruined for the Lord. God is all you want to know, all you want to worship. This is what the gospel teaches us that we're saved by grace through faith. So, what does it mean to strive to enter? through the narrow door. What's he saying to his disciples when he he says this? I believe that what he's communicating to his disciples is this. Strive to remember the gospel. Strive to remember that Jesus is the only way. Strive to remember that the way to salvation and to see the fruits of that salvation is narrow. Strive to only follow God and God alone. Strive to trust that your sins are forgiven in him and that your salvation is rest assured in him. Because what's the temptation for us? The temptation for us to say to ourselves, surely I'm not good enough. I know here that God loves me unconditionally. But man, when I look at myself, I'm not good enough. There'll be times in your life where you're working hard for the Lord, when you feel close to the Lord and and you're reading Scripture voraciously and, and praise be to God for that. But then in sneaks the voice of the evil one who says, see how much better you are than that person in the church? You start looking at them and go, yeah, I see that. I'm so much better than that. That narrow door gets wider and wider. But God calls us enter into that narrow door by following the narrow truths of the gospel that Jesus alone saves to follow through the narrow door of the gospel that our duty is not to change people's behaviors but is to take people lovingly to Jesus himself it's for us to not be the arbiter of our own hearts or whether we deserve to come into God's presence or not, but simply to come to God's presence. For God judges no one by their merits who knows Jesus. God judges you who know Jesus by the merits of his son Jesus. So you may come whenever, however, wherever you may be. You see, these people who are walking with Jesus believe that they could come to salvation or come to know Jesus just by being associated with him. Hey, Jesus, we ate with you. We drank with you we heard you teach, surely that's enough. Surely just being associated with Jesus or being associated with the church is more than enough for me to to enter into the kingdom of God. And God says these harsh words to them. He calls them in verse 27. You've got to remember, these are good Jewish people who are following the laws of Moses, who want to see God, but do not recognize who Jesus is, do not recognize the, the door that he is. And he calls them workers of evil. And he says they'd be cast away, would there be weeping and gnashing of teeth? But the consequences of, of not following Jesus the way that he has provided for his people is one of judgment. And my call to you, brothers and sisters, is it's the same calling here. check your hearts again. Are you a Christian simply because you associate with Jesus and associate with other Christians? Or are you a believer because you've met the most holy God? You wrestled with your sins. And as you wrestled with your sins, God showed you the forgiveness that he love that he has for you. Do you cry and then you weep, not because you're not a good person, but do you cry and do you weep because you haven't been pleasing to God? And then you cry and do you weep when you know that God loves you nonetheless. Right, knowing God and knowing about God are two different things. Two very different things. I know no celebrity, and I know no one. I, I really don't know anyone. I know nobody, nobody, no, I'm going to say nobody. But I know a lot about lots of different people. I know a lot about, let's say, our President Obama, former President Obama. Tell you his story, where he grew up, his political life. I could tell you how he met Michelle Obama, about their two children. I could tell you what he does now. I could tell you about what other people who know him say about him. And then when he's on the TV screen and and he does something wonderful, I can feel joy. When people slander him, I can feel sadness. I can be associated with him. I can know about him, but I don't know him. For some of us, we're too satisfied with that. To know about Jesus to know what he has done. When God blesses this church and we, we see, I don't know, more people come or when we're able to do more things for, uh, for, our, for, for, uh, for the, um, the people around us, we feel happy, we feel glad. But knowing about Jesus, knowing about our church, it's not the same thing. And this is scary because you can eat with Jesus and drink with Jesus, share a table with Jesus and still not know him. For all of us, and this includes myself, we need to know God and Jesus on his terms. And the centrality of that is our acknowledgement of our sins, an acknowledgement of his love and his grace by dying on the cross. Brothers and sisters, when we celebrate communion today, what are we celebrating? His death. When we take of the bread and the cup, what are we remembering? His death cup of, of the wrath of God that we should have drunk that he drunk, remembering Jesus who knows us and loves us. And so our hearts must come to him. Lastly there's a table where those who know God can come and eat. And there's two things that he says in verse 29, and people will come from east and west, north and south, and reclined at the table in the kingdom of God. First is, this, is that God's salvation is intended for all people. In this context here, the, the, the Jewish people are thinking that salvation is only intended for them and their nation. But Jesus has come and said salvation is intended not only for you, but for all people. That Jesus has, if we can say, democratized this as well we must understand that this offer of the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth and it's incumbent upon us to offer that same gospel to all the peoples that we know In one sense, it's still narrow because you have to come to know Jesus. But it's broad in the sense that's offered to anyone and everyone. If you look around this room, all of you are offered that same gospel. If you look at our world that is fragmented, the same gospel is offered to all. And we see God's handiwork as people from different tribes and languages, cultures come to know that same Jesus. But lastly, God's salvation is intended for you as well. I so wish that I had the eloquence be able to steer you in the direction of saying, yes, God, yes, God. But we know that even if the angels came down from heaven and said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not enough. (laughs) Even if Jesus himself were to appear right now, believe it or not, that would not be enough. But God's grace and spirit comes down and intercedes with your spirit. It reminds you once again that all you need to do is confess the name of Christ and his salvific work will begin afresh in you. Let's offer to you today, now, And once you enter into that door that is Christ himself, you will start to realize that that narrow door is where the biggest breath of blessing that God can give to his people. I pray for all of you. Let's pray for one another. Let us strive together To keep what's first, first. Jesus loves us. Jesus' love has never changed for us. And may we enter into his presence together. May we take all the people we know with us without judgment. And let the beautiful face of the Lord compel all to worship him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask of you to grace us with your presence once again. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. To love you, Lord, forever and ever as much as you have loved us. Lord God, there is no one like you, and so we are thankful that you have shown yourself and demonstrated your love to us as individuals and to us as a church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Welcome, everyone. As you know, the first Sunday of each month is our Communion Sunday. It's also our Hymnal Sunday as well. And I applaud many of you. Some of these hymns are the first time you've sang hymns in a long time. But I hope that the words that you're singing from those hymns are a blessing to you. Uh, Sometimes if you can't follow the hymn, that's okay. Just read the words. And let the words bless you. Uh, Today we celebrate Communion. Communion is one of the two... Sacraments that Christ himself instituted when he was on earth. And these sacraments are are intended to be a blessing to God's people. The sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, I want to instill upon all of you to recognize that this is not magic. For many of us growing up in the Asian context, uh, we see spiritual, magical things in taking and receiving things. You do not get magically blessed when you take this. Something doesn't happen to you when you take this. You must receive these just like the word that was preached today by faith and faith alone. It's your faith mixed with these elements that gives you the blessing by God's Spirit that surely Jesus died for me. And so because of that, don't think that, you know, if I I take this, something magically will happen to me. Now, we here at Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church, we we are a church that believes that God does not call individuals to communion, but God calls the church to communion. And that God doesn't call the universal church to communion, just simply believers all over the place, but the local church to communion. And so we we fence the table here, and and I want you to listen, because I know we have many visitors, and I I want you to hear this well. Um, When God gives communion, it's not only a recognition of what Jesus has done for me, but it's a recognition of what Jesus is doing for the body of Christ here at this local church, Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church. The members here have taken an oath to not only follow God, but to love one another. They've taken an oath that when they see each other and they're failing, that they say to themselves, I'm bonded to this person. I must intercede in prayer, in action for this person. So when we take this communion together, it's a promise that we've made to one another, a reminder to us that God has called us into one church, I will tell you as a pastor always, go to your rooms and pray and read scripture on your own. But I will never tell you, hey, take a cup, a piece of bread, go home and take communion on your own. You'll never hear a pastor say that. For some of you, you're wrestling with finding a church and I understand that. I really understand that. And there are many reasons why you're wrestling to, to find a church, and my heart goes out to you. There are some of you because the church has disappointed you. For some of you, you're just looking for that church that sort of meets all your criteria, and you're starting to realize, I hope, there isn't a church that meets all your criteria. There isn't. There isn't. But the call to communion is a call to find a local church, so you can take the bread and the wine with the brothers and sisters in the flesh who are next to you. And so if you're not part of a local church and you're just trying you're just coming here trying to find Jesus you're trying to figure out what church I should go to, I ask you not to take this today. Like, but but pastor, I need to take this to get blessed. You don't need this to t- get blessed. What you need is a church. You need a church. It doesn't have to be this one, but you need a church. And so instead of taking the elements, pray and go, Lord, help me find a church where I can worship you, where I can be with brothers and sisters who will challenge me and who I can challenge. I don't want a perfect church because if I find a perfect church, that's simply a reflection of my own sins. My own selfish desires. Help me find a church where you can be, where I can worship you. For some of you, you might not even know who Jesus is yet. Please refrain. Wait to that day when you come to know Jesus, so you can take this with joy in the Lord, and not taste, take this now and say it's just a piece of bread and the, some juice. There are some of you here who are visiting from out of state and, and I know who are who are um, members at local churches and you're, you love your church. And I will say to you, come and take communion. You're welcome. But as you do, you need to pray for two things. One, pray for your own church. As you take this communion, think of the people in your own local church and you pray for them and you love them. And second, you're here visiting and we're grateful. Pray for our church too as well. That this local community and body of Christ can grow in love for them. And so I know that's a lot to say before communion. But I do hope and pray that you'll see the importance of this. I do pray that the Lord would pierce your hearts to do what's right before the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this gift of communion. We thank you for your sacraments. It is a sign and a seal to us, your church, and to the world that your blessing is here upon us, Lord God. It's a sign and seal for us as your people to remind us, one, that we have been called out of darkness into light through your death and resurrection. And two, that we've been called into communion with our brothers and sisters in this local body. So we ask of you, Lord God, to bless all of us here today during this act of Holy Communion, wherever our hearts may be, whatever our situation may be. God, you are perfect, you are love, and you know what you're doing for each and every one of us. Speak to us through your word and through your spirit, as we witness, as some of us witness communion, as some of us partake of communion. May you and your name be praised. In Christ's name we pray, amen.